Welcome back to another edition of The Heimland. Today, on episode 6, we sit with friend of the show, Aaron Doyle, to talk about what it takes to become an art therapist, what it's like to live in New York City, and we hear one of the best stories to date. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everyone, to The Heimland. I'm Sam. This is week six. We also have Winston and Ben. And this week we are joined by our friend Aaron Doyle, who is out in New York. And uh, we all met at camp, spending some time doing a bunch of art therapy things. Um, Aaron, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and like how you got to where you are at the moment? Yeah. Um, so I met all of these lovely people at Camp Olson, um, and have since gotten to know them even more. Um, I am from rural Minnesota and, uh, went to school in Minnesota as well, went to college in Minnesota, and now I am going to grad school in New York City, um, where I'm getting my master's degree in art therapy and hopefully becoming an art therapist soon. I am at the tail end of my education, so I will be graduating soon and exploring sort of the next step. Awesome. So as you said, we're gonna be talking a lot about art therapy. My first question would be, how did you know you wanted to get an art therapy and was this something you discovered through your undergraduate program or did you know before you even went into undergraduate? So I was lucky enough to be introduced to art therapy at a fairly young age. I feel that a lot of people don't know about art therapy uh, in general, much less know about it fairly young, but my mom is a recreational therapist And so she knew a number of art therapists and um, it was just sort of there as like an option as a job, sort of like in my peripheral. Um, And it was suggested to me pretty early on in high school, middle school, because I had an affinity for art and for people. And I always sort of pushed against it and was like, no, 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 I don't want to do something like my mom does. No way. Um... And then as I went into undergraduate, I was sort of working on combining either the fields of theater or art or psychology and education. I knew I wanted some combination of those four. It developed pretty quickly into uh, art therapy Um, around sophomore year, maybe. I sort of decided that that would be the best fit for me in the kind of work that I wanted to do, which was really, I wanted to work with children um, and maybe adults, but I knew I wanted to work with children and I wanted to do something I was passionate about, but also connect with others and provide a place where people could share stories and be a facilitator for that kind of story sharing and storytelling. Awesome. So I know you just mentioned that not a lot of people are particularly familiar with the profession in general. So I was hoping you could maybe sort of share with us what art therapy looks like or what sort of activities you would do. Yeah. Um, So art therapy 
uh, is really it can be used in a wide variety of ways. And just like really any profession, but also any therapeutic practice, there's a lot of different approaches. Um, so, so it depends what the population you're working with is. Um, generally, it's used as art is used as a therapeutic tool for the clients in a therapeutic setting. So that might look like the clients are painting or drawing, and usually the therapist will have a specific theme or directive for that time that the therapist and the client are together. Um, so for example, it might be um, a common one is like draw a safe place, um, or it might be creating um, colors and emotions wheel. It might be doing sculptural pieces that are a little bit more abstract. And it could even be, I have actually another friend that is an art therapist with uh, children ages three to six. And so that looks very different. She uses uh, little like hot wheeled cars and drives, but she's working on social skills and on creativity, on adaptive learning. Um, so yeah, a little bit of a long answer, but it really depends, the kind of activities that you're doing depend on the population with. So far I've worked with, I've worked in a detox unit, Bellevue Hospital, and I have worked, um, currently working at Lenox Hill Neighborhood House, where I'm working with uh, homeless populations, um, I'm working with seniors, I'm working with caregivers, um, and working with uh, formerly chronically homeless that now have a permanent residence. Wow, thank you for all that. That actually covered, I was going to ask you about what uh, sort of populations you serve because that was, it mm -hmm. was something that when I was thinking about art therapy and you, when you had talked about not people not knowing about it, I, it sort of made me think of how do people come to find art therapy as an option? So do you get like government referrals or how do, how do people kind of find your line of work? from the, yeah. the client end? That's a great question. Uh, that's something I'm still figuring out too. <laughs> um, again, it depends on the, the site that you're working with. So a lot of art therapists work in hospitals. Um, a lot of art therapists work in schools. A lot of art therapists work in um, more like, uh, prisons or jails um, or I'm thinking of an example. Um, I know some are in rehab. So there's uh, some in like long-term nursing facilities or nursing homes. Um, so it depends. And then, of course, there's private practice art therapists. Uh, but I would say a lot of people are first introduced to art therapy either in a hospital visit, whether that's psychiatric or medical, um, or if they are in nursing homes, so when they're having more of that end-of-life care um, or geriatric care or fortunately now it's also happening a lot more in schools so I think I hope that continues to grow too that more and more people are hearing about art therapy in schools when they go in for counseling answer your question yeah no that was awesome I'm really curious uh, like what does a day in the life of an art therapist look like how do you plan all of your like activities you're going to like do during the day how do you work with your different like groups of participants as you're going in between different activities like what's all the planning that goes in and getting the art supplies and all of that stuff 
So at Lenox Hill Neighborhood House, where I'm at currently, a sort of interesting uh, position where I am acting as a traveling art therapist, which means I'm going from location to location. Um, so let's say uh, my days look a little different there. My typical Monday, uh, <laughs> I go into take the subway in because I'm in New York. And I go to our women's mental health shelter, and uh, our art therapy sessions are run in the dining room there because there's limited space. So I grab my little dining cart, I bring it to the closet, I fill it up with my art supplies, uh, and I put all the tables together in the art space, the clients are all welcomed in, and that session is run as an open studio, which means the... Um, I'm still using a therapeutic approach, but the art that they're working on is more client directed. So they're able to choose what mediums they want to work with. They're able to choose what projects they want to work with. Some people do multiple projects in one day. Some people work on uh, projects for weeks at a time, months at a time. Um, that, that last half, I clean up. Um, at the end of those sessions, there's also a sharing that goes on, sharing of artwork and some therapeutic dialogue. I clean everything up. I scurry back over to the main office um, where I try to type up my notes. I prepare for my next session, which is with seniors at Senior Community Center. Um, and I run a clinically-based depression group with them. So it's all seniors that have... Um, scored on a depression scale as experiencing symptoms of depression significantness and so those are more focused it's a closed group so it's the same people every time and i do go in with prepared directives prepared art pieces that i want them to work on in those sessions so an example of that one thing we worked on in the fall were masks so like we created masks and i wanted them to work on their internal and external selves. So on the outside of the mask, I ask them to create uh, a representation, abstract, realistic, however they wanted of their external self. And then on the interior of the mask, we did a internal self. Um, so how you may be really feeling because that group was experiencing a lot of masking of their depression and a lot of difficulty really showing that vulnerability and being able to ask for help. Um, and so that was sort of where I was coming from through a therapeutic approach. I clean up again. Uh, I go, that's an hour and a half long. And then I go back to the office. I type up my notes. And um, I usually have a individual session as well, which are 45 minutes long. And those vary. I have one at the Women's Mental Health Shelter where I work with somebody who uh, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Those usually are a little bit more open. Um, in figuring out where the client at, is at that day. So those I come in with the multiple ideas and we sort of are more flexible at that time. Um, go back to my notes and everything up. I'm done for the day. I go home and then I go and do it all again. My next day of internship. I do uh, also have in-home client, so um, which is very interesting. I go into their home and do art therapy sessions with him and his two Yorkshire Terriers as well. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. 
So another question, I, I think we kind of jumped straight into the how and maybe skipped a little bit over the why. And I, I know that it varies. It probably varies a lot based on what sort of clients you're working with. Um, but what are some of the targeted outcomes and what sort of things would you do in an art therapy session? Like, do you track progress or what would, what are, could you maybe talk about what you're trying to achieve in each uh, one of these different sessions? Yeah, so I would say the therapeutic goals tend to be pretty similar to any other mental health clinician or therapist. Uh, the difference is we have art. Um, so the therapeutic goals might be reducing isolation. It might be um, building healthy coping skills, one that comes up all the time. Uh, it could be um, strengthening a sense of identity. It could be reducing psychotic symptoms. It could be um, improving social skills and communication skills. So the difference is we have the art to work with as well. So on top of being able to verbally communicate, we can also see progress through the artwork they create. And we're able to offer that as another form of expression. And the wonderful thing about using the artwork in that way is it can be less inhibiting. Um, so things that might be really difficult to express verbally, um, for instance, experiences of trauma can sometimes be expressed in the artwork then instead in a way that feels safer because it is it doesn't have to be verbalized for us to see it and that's where some of the training as an art therapist comes in is being able to see some of those depictions in the art and then being able to sort of note them and then come back to process them with the clients when it feels appropriate uh i was wondering you mentioned in your undergraduate you did a little bit with like theater is there any performance art in art therapy? So there is a whole field of other creative therapies. Um, so there is dance therapy. There's drama. There is, um, oh gosh, it's like psychodrama or psychodrama therapy. Um, there's play therapy. There's sand tray therapy, uh, music therapy. So I'm really only trained in art therapy using visual arts. Um, but I haven't, I don't know as much about those areas because I haven't received training in them other than very brief workshops. So as an art therapist, you, do you do a lot of art yourself or do you mainly like walk around and see what people are doing and talk to them or like what role does art play in your life if it's such a big part of your job right now? you still do it for fun? Yeah, I do it for fun. And I also do it as uh, an important part of my, my self-care and my training. It is not really fair of us as therapists, as art therapists, to go into a session and ask people to make art if we're not also making art ourselves. Because it is a, it is a way of being vulnerable. And a lot of people get uncomfortable with it a lot of people are focused on their skill and their ability um and it's another form of expression so it's an important part of staying humble staying like in touch with your art therapist identity um to create your own personal art 
That doesn't ever happen in session though. Um, in sessions that can take away from the client's experience to create art um, with them. It it's really depends. Some therapists do make art with them and you can, uh, but it's definitely not every time. I made art along with clients in, a, in the setting in detox a lot more because it helped motivate them to create their own art. Um, but all of that was usually really abstract and not very personal. A lot more of that personal art making for, for the fun of art or to process uh, emotionally comes in outside of work. But I do still make art. So you, like you mentioned, you are out in New York right now. Um, that is obviously a big change from your rural Minnesota upbringing. Yeah. Um, that you went out there for grad school. How did you make that choice to move from smaller Minnesota to New York? And uh, what's what's that been like? Yeah, it's a big transition. Um, so looking at grad schools, I so a master's is required to be an art therapist. So I knew I was going to grad school um, as soon as I knew I wanted to be an art therapist. I really widened my search to basically the whole country uh, because there's only one school that offers an art therapy program in Minnesota. Um, so I I really narrowed it down. It was like a process of elimination, basically. Um, I visited some schools, I uh, interviewed with some, and really what it came down to was there's a school in New York that offered me the best financial aid, the best scholarship, which is hard to find in art therapy programs in uh, getting your master's. So I went with that one because I was pretty happy with the school overall. Um, it seemed like it was going to be a good fit. Uh, the school recently closed, <laughs> uh, so I sort of saw that coming. Um, when I got out there, there were issues with the school. They had a lot of stuff going on. I pretty quickly saw all that happening because I was working in the dean's office and I transferred. Um, so it was an odd way to get out here because I didn't necessarily choose New York for being New York. Um, I more just chose it because it seemed like the best option for me financially. Um, but I have really grown to love it. I mean, it was a great opportunity and I think it pushed me out of my comfort zone to do something maybe I wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, it's been quite a, a process, but I, I wouldn't change it. I'm, I really enjoy being in New York City. The, I drove out here in my little 98 Toyota Corolla, uh, took three days, moved out, everything out, um, and I've been here ever since. Um, so I just wanted to ask, what is been your least favorite and favorite part about making the switch uh, to such a bigger city? Was there anything that like caught you off guard by New York, or was it like it seemed like on TV? <laughs> Um, ooh, okay, I'm having to think back. So I moved out here in 2017, so I'm having to, like, think back to fresh New York City, baby Aaron. Things that caught me off guard. I would say it took me a little while to adjust that not all New Yorkers are rude. Uh, 
the communication styles like it it's just been incredible like I didn't realize that you could be in the same country speaking the same language culturally like so similar in so many ways and then so different as well uh especially coming from Minnesota nice where uh it, there was this this disconnect at first, especially working as like a receptionist sort of uh, in a in school office where I was used to asking like, how was your day? Like, hello, how are you? How can I help you? Uh, and maybe some polite little chit chat back and forth. Absolutely not. They would cut me off like immediately because in New York and I just was like, oh my God, everyone here is so rude. Uh, because in, in Minnesota, you're, if you're that rude, you're, you're a pretty rude person. In New York, that's not considered rude. It's just you're, you have stuff to do, and the polite thing to do is to be efficient. And so being inefficient is really considered rude if, if you're taking up somebody else's time in this busy, fast place, uh, fast-paced environment. So a big adjustment to realize that those people that were acting rude in my, in, in my, based on my past experience, were actually very kind and considerate people. It's a little bit of a weird switch when I go back to Minnesota and people wave at me again and I think, oh my God, look away, look away, like don't interact. And then I realize I'm in Minnesota and I'm like, oh shoot, I need to stay high. And by that point they've passed me and then I'm the rude person there. So it takes a few days to adjust. <laughs> I have loved the experiences though. I would say my favorite part of New York has been the sheer opportunity of places to go, things to do, the, the fact that it's New York where all of these incredible things are happening and I'm able to, to witness them. I have the opportunity to go to them. Uh, there's so many adventures to go on. That sounds lovely. How long did it take when you initially moved there to get used to the fast-paced life? Because I know I'm out here in Seattle now, <laughs> and it's probably not nearly as fast as New York City, but it's still much more fast-paced than my small farm town I grew up in. And sometimes it just stresses me out when everyone's <laughs> just all over the place when I go into Seattle. And I'm like, all right, this is too much. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go out. I would say I'm still adjusting, to be honest. He doesn't want to fully adjust, right? Like, I think part of the reason is I'm resistant to it. I, and so I think here I'm trying to hold on to some of that because I can find the energy here of what's most efficient, like next, next, next to be very draining. I actually was having a conversation about it today with um, one of the people here that I'm quarantining with who listens to, he's a true New Yorker, born in New York, listens to his audiobooks on twice the speed because he finds it more important to listen to his audiobooks at twice the speed, um, which we got in a whole conversation then about, well, sufficient option I'd rather, to me that was terrifying, um, because if I'm listening to my audiobooks, like I've even gone back if I missed something, if I was driving and I wasn't paying attention as I turned, I'll like go back, you know, a minute to make sure I heard that line. Um, I think I'm still adjusting, but also I don't want to adjust much more. I want to hold on to to some sense of calm and some sense of Minnesotanness. When you do need time away from the craziness of New York City, where do you go? Uh, so that one is actually pretty easy. Um, I live in Queens, and like I can hear the subway. I 
air department shakes a little bit when planes land in LaGuardia Airport. Um, and so I kind of forget how close nature actually is out here. But I can go on, and I have my car, and I can go on a, a um, two hours and be in the Catskills. So I can go hiking in basically mountains um, along the Hudson River. Um, I can, I've, you know, been able to do all the Long Island, where if you get out there far enough, there's there's beaches. Um, there's so much nature that you can you can actually get to. It's just sort of reminding myself that I have the opportunity to go there. Um, yeah, I and I, I did get to Rondex once as well, but that's more of a four-hour drive uh, to get up there. So would you say you prefer... Um, I'm kind of cheating because I, I know where you grew up. Cause we we kind of grew up in the same neck of the woods, as, yeah. <laughs> as the Minnesotans would say. Um, but when I personally was looking to move out of my hometown, I was a little bit nervous about moving to such a big city for that sort of reason that I wanted to stay accessible to like nature because a lot of the things that I do are very outdoor driven. So what I wanted to ask you is, was it different or how did you feel about moving from being in like a primarily rural area where you had to drive into a city to kind of access the city life as opposed to being in a primarily urban space and having to drive to access that outdoor um, rural environment? I think, um, to be honest, it wasn't something that was really a big part of my decision-making process because I was so focused on grad school and making the choice surrounding that. Um, But an important part in me feeling comfortable moving to New York, confident moving to New York was my study in London, um, where that was really where I experienced the transition of going from a small town to a really big city and the shock. Uh, but I did really enjoy myself in London and I, I felt really comfortable there. I felt like I took advantage of the city and the opportunities and that gave me the confidence to be able to move to New York. What I did do when I was in London was I bought a month-long train pass and every single weekend uh, for five weeks, I think, I got out of the city on Friday and returned on Sunday and went somewhere in the countryside. Um, I have not kept that up in the... But I have still used that as a big self-care in challenging thing is having not having other people that are as passionate about getting outdoors as I am and being in that wilderness natural area so for a lot of me like when I'm stressed out and I need to kind of do my own self therapy I go outside and when we were working in the camp setting and I was mostly working outside sometimes being in certain places outside that I worked in a lot felt like work. Uh, do you go, do you do art to kind of relax or do you use this kind of nature setting as you're kind of relaxing so you don't feel like you're doing work stuff? That's a great question. Um, I do both, I think. Um, because a lot of my work doesn't actually require me doing art and rather requires me facilitating art, I think it's a little easier to view art making also 
me. The difficult part is when my schoolwork requires me to do artwork um, and sort of balancing time for all of that. I would say I've also shifted to the urban setting that I'm in now and also exploring in that way um, and checking out different parts of the city. I love taking the ferry. <laughs> it's like two, it's like 275 uh, to take the ferry because it's a commuter ferry, but it's beautiful. Um, goes right along uh, the east so you can see Manhattan, uh, beautiful at night. And so those are sort of the things that I've also a healthcare routine. So it can on a more daily basis, I guess. Um, yeah, and just uh, there's like an end opportunity of adventures to go on in New York, and I've tried to embrace that. Cool. Uh, so, Erin, I'm wondering that if now that you've become an art therapist or uh, because you've moved to such a very different place with different like ideals and like speeds happening around you, do you have like moments where that's reflected in your art? Do you make art differently now or? Is it very similar to what you've been doing for a while? A lot of my art has become even more nature. Um, and I think that I noticed that pretty early on. And I sort of reflected on that. I figured out that that was a way for me to expose myself to more natural elements and embrace that and express that to other people that I felt weren't relating to that part of me um, because being in Minnesota in general it's really easy to find other people that know about the boundary waters that um, have gone camping that know how to you know make a fire that understand the the way that comes from you know letting the wind through country like there's there's this inherent passion that a lot of people have in in Minnesota in the communities that I've been a part of that wasn't shared when I got here and I, so I think there was even more um, urgency even more uh, desire to express that part of myself and and because it felt like the people around me weren't necessarily seeing that and celebrating that um, and it worked I mean it did because I. I share my art with my class a lot and it has become very much more nature focused um and it's wonderful when other classmates also create more nature focused art and we can sort of point to each other across the classroom and go oh oh that one's you isn't it i can tell because it has a bunch of trees in it so does mine cool um so i think it has shifted a little bit yeah very cool Aaron, i have a question that i've been asking everyone this year and that question is what is your favorite story to tell I understand it can change a little bit, like who you're around and the situation you're in. And it doesn't even have to be a personal story about you. It can just be a general story. But what is your favorite story to tell if you have one? And can you tell it to us? Yeah. Um, so I'm not good at picking favorites, <laughs> uh, just in general. Um, but since Ben is here, I... I am sort of reminiscing and thinking of a story that involves Ben uh, from our years at camp. Um, so I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and share that one. Um, 
so Ben and I met at, at camp and we went on a 10 day canoe trip together. Uh, really wonderful trip. Uh, really was one of the highlights of my camper years at, at camp and made me decide to go back to do the counseling training program and become a counselor myself. And <laughs> there was one day though, out of this wonderful 10 day trip, there was one day that was just god awful. It was <laughs> just like devastatingly difficult. Um, and this was the day that our counselors decided to take us down this relaxing, lovely uh, little river, you know, you're just gonna float along, right? Um, seemed nice. Day started out okay. We woke up, we had breakfast, we packed up, we canoed across the lake to where the entrance point for the portage was supposed to be. We had some difficulty finding it because it ended up that it was a really steep portage. It was like pretty rocky, not great, kind of difficult for like little 16-year-old Aaron to carry the canoe over, but it turned out fine. Um, put the canoe in the water in the river. The water ended up being kind of low on the river, so it was rocky. So we kept having to like get out of the canoe, sort of pull it over the rocks, um, and make sure it didn't scrape. Um, so our feet kept getting wet. I think I eventually just like took my shoes off. I don't know. I remember my my hiking boots being quite wet that day because I didn't think I was getting out of the canoe, so I wasn't wearing sandals. That part sticks in my memory pretty well. Wet feet. Um, then we had one more little mini portage at the end. It was getting kind of buggy. Um, we had to get out of the canoe and carry them because there was like one little teeny waterfall, but it was like, I mean, it was literally like a couple feet, but it was super rocky. So we just couldn't get the canoes over it. We get to our lunch spot on this little tiny lake on Bear Trap River. Uh, everybody's like down in spirits, not doing so great. I take it on myself personally to pep everybody up. We're going to have a good day. We're doing great. It's uphill from here. That was the hardest part. All right. I know it's only like peanut butter and jelly for lunch today, but come on, let's do it. Let's go. I love all you guys. This is great. Uh, <laughs> bringing the energy we all needed. Um, that didn't last long. <laughs> uh, so we then <laughs> tried to, um, find the entrance to the rest of the river after this lake and could not find it. It was all reeds. I think we spent like 30 minutes trying to find the entrance of this river. Uh, I do. So this, before I get any further, I want to pause and say that I, this was such a significant story for me and such a significant, <laughs> difficult time <laughs> uh, that I wrote a, an essay about it. Uh, and I think a couple of us wrote like college admissions essays about this or whatever. Like we used it in academic purposes in school in getting people to let us into their colleges. So I have the essay pulled up in front of me now um, <laughs> from 2011. And as it says here, eventually everyone cheered up. And after slopping on some more sunscreen, we buckled our packs and headed out. But out uh, our high hopes of an easy journey the rest of the day were soon trampled. Instead of a clear entrance to an open, maneuverable river, an impenetrable wall of looming reeds greeted us. We paced the canoes back and forth in front of the formidable wall, even tried squeezing between the towering plants, but our canoes squished deep into the earthy masses. Where was the river? 
so somebody finally found it. I don't remember who it was. Found the entrance to the river. Thank the Lord. Again, thought this was the worst part of our day. Was not. <laughs> it was literally just like a patch of reeds that was thinner than the rest. We like had to get out. And you know that like mud that's like kind of grainy. It's like muck. It's like, it's not really mud. And your shoes just like sink right into it. It's like the sinking sand that you were always afraid of as a child. That was like what we had to walk through to get our canoes through. Like it was just, you just like fell into it as you tried to pull your canoe. So that's what we're doing. We get to the river, does not look promising. Tons of algae, like super still water, perfect for horseflies and mosquitoes. Um, I remember being so bitten. I like, at this point, all of my pep was gone. I was slamming the paddle down on the canoe, trying to like kill horseflies with my paddle. My face was getting bitten. I was not happy. And just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, there was a beaver dam. And of course, this, this, the river, correct me. So it's going, we were going upstream, I guess, because the high, we were on the high point of the beaver, or the low point of the beaver dam. So we had to lift the canoe up over the beaver dam. Yes. And there was no going around it because of the ledges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was one way and it was up. Uh, they weren't very high beaver dams, but there were not one, not two, not three, not four, not even five, but six beaver dams. We went over six beaver dams uh, after all of this had already happened. Um, somewhere in between all of the beaver dams, the river also got super rocky. Um, it basically like dried up. So we had to like go down this sort of makeshift path um, and we, we had to portage the canoes again. And I remember portaging the canoe on this part because I remember I almost kept losing the canoe because when you have the canoe over your head, it creates the perfect little space for all of the mosquitoes that have all been hatching and just having the time of their lives on this murky, lovely, still river with all of these beaver dams. And it was torture so you just had to walk with the canoe while they're eating you alive um also couldn't see where there was a path because it wasn't really a path so you're just kind of yelling and echoing back with all the mosquitoes to hear you uh <laughs> to see where the other people were ahead of you so go back on the water keep canoeing kind of going over beaver dams and to end our journey the river just ends doesn't go to a lake. Mm -mm, not at all. It just ends. Uh, and then we make our way down a unmapped, apparently. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what was happening on the counselor end right now. But I think an unmapped portage. Um, did not know how long it was. They just sort of like two of them just like left to sea and then didn't quite return. And then the other counselor was like, all right, we're all going. Uh, so we just ventured into this unknown woods. Um, we ended up, so as I described it here, it turned out to be a monster of a portage, the second longest of the whole trip. The trail was as wide as an infant's thumbnail and obstructed by fallen streams, uh, fallen trees, murky streams, boulders, and low hanging branches. One it dislocated elbow, smashed hand, and bruised leg bone later. We put our canoes down into the clear, lovely water of Bear Trap Lake. Uh, 
it, luckily it was like a super short paddle to our campsite and then we just like collapsed onto the ground and it was I think the most exhausted and possibly like most cheated most deceived I don't know most like taken advantage of by the natural world <laughs> that I have ever felt um it was awful but also ended up being like weirdly wonderful because it brought us all closer to go through this adventure together go through all of this like crazy unknown territory together um and we were the only ones on that lake and it taught me an important lesson hear this kids it taught me an important lesson of not planning on going down rivers or up rivers or using rivers on your canoe trips if you haven't seen or been on that river before it's not a shortcut do not use it just paddle the extra miles on the lake that's my story ben what do you have any additions to make you were i i remember getting to the end of that river so <laughs> that if you can call it that and it just faded off into rocks and then trees yeah there were trees there were actual trees it was just like it wasn't like oh it's just like a rock river path now like the river's dried up it's like it just stopped and, and Aiden our counselor gets out and he's like I'm gonna figure this out guys and he goes off into the woods and we just sitting there in the canoes for way with too long and we're with like, all of the horse flies he was just gone for so long we're like where did he go like we don't even see a trail he just ran off into the woods <laughs> And so finally our other counselors, like Aaron said, was like, all right, just get stuff. We're going to go in the woods. And finally we're getting our stuff and we're about to leave. And then he comes back out of the woods and he's like looking at us. And you can see like he's a very fit, very like energetic guy. And he just looks defeated. Like he was trying to hide it. I just remember looking at his face. And I, at that point, I still kind of am, but I was, I was, I was a bigger kid. And he was gone for a while, and he just looks at us, and he goes, well, I didn't find the end, <laughs> but it is a trail. <laughs> and I was just so angry. And just for context, I was the one who dislocated an elbow on yeah. that trail. You dislocated it at the beginning of the trail, actually, when you, it was like you powered through the whole thing. I did also, well, two things. When you said that he ran off into the woods, it made me think of the Jurassic Park, the scene that he left us. He really left us. He left us uh, with with the T-Rex coming, um, which is kind of how it felt. Uh, but I did also, I was not, I'm not muscular now, but was definitely even less muscular somehow as a teenager. I don't know. I was just sort of like a bag of bones and pasta and energy um <laughs> and I had I, I was really worn out and I we took turns carrying the canoe my my like portage partner and I Marley and it was my turn with the canoe instead of the pack and we had to go over this little stream on that portage and I stepped on like the rock or whatever to get over it and just fell like fell right in but it was like one foot that just fell into this mud it was that like muck that I was talking about and that was terrifying because I had this like 60 pound canoe on my back which was like 
more than half the weight of me at the time, probably. I don't know. We were eating trail food. Like, I it was that's like it was not. It was it was not easy for me to handle, and I was exhausted, and I just started sinking, like fully sinking, and just screamed for her. And she turns around, and I am like up past my knee in mud on one leg, and like trying to throw like a new off of myself, <laughs> to do so, and just like terrified. And I think that was the point where I felt truly broken. Was after I almost I like saw me slowly sinking to my death in the middle of the woods in this mucky mucky stream. <laughs> go to the boundary waters kids it's great true last question how do you feel about beavers now oh my god uh so we actually made an art piece bringing it back you see how i do that bringing it back we made an art piece at the end of our trip where we painted a paddle which is pretty common to do at camp and our entire paddle is us defeating a beaver there is literally a dead beaver depicted on this paddle hanging at camp uh it was hanging i don't know where if it is or not or not now but um it was all of us using various like superpowers or uh wilderness skills to defeat this beaver and its home uh really quite vicious but a lovely way of processing this somewhat traumatic maybe not possibly event that we went through together i've grown to like beavers really hated them for a long time i still don't like them (laughs) (laughs) we will live in peace and harmony i guess well thank you aaron for telling that story thank you very much and thank you for joining us on our podcast Thank you so much for having me. And we wish you the best of luck at finishing your grad program and your future endeavors. Thank you so much. It was really good to talk to all of you and uh, get to share a little bit about what I'm doing out here in New York. Awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a good review, funny or nice, we might read it on the show and give you a shout out. All right. See you next time. <laughs>